coming off their sixth loss in seven games. The Seahawks are officially in uncharted territory. With the playoffs out of the picture, the direction of the franchise appears up in the air. Sports radio host Paul Gallant joins us to explore the possibilities. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my talented producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? You know, Jackson, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling great, and there is a, a specific reason for that. And Would you like to know <laughs> oh, what yeah? that is? Of course I would, Mike. It's because the Seattle Seahawks are officially finished with primetime games in the 2021 season. Uh. Lord have mercy. We thank made you, it. Thank you. We did we it. Did. We made it to the end. <laughs> well, man, you know, I, I got to say we are back at it after taking our own personal bye week. And as good as it was to unplug for a bit, I am excited to be back here talking Hawks, even if it is a different type of conversation than we've grown used to with this team. There are a lot of ways that this franchise could go from here. So I enlisted one of my faves in the biz to help break it down. You know him as the former host of Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Radio. He is Paul Gallant. Paul, thanks for making the time. Anytime, Jackson. And it is a depressing time, but it is a time. And we <laughs> shall spend the time. the time talking about these problems that this team has. Yeah, yeah, man. And and there's a litany of those to get to here. Uh, but I know that a lot of the folks who are listening are familiar with you, either through Twitter or from listening to you on air. But why don't you give us a quick rundown before we get going as to how you ended up in Seattle media? Okay, so I worked in Houston for eight years. I got fired at the job that I was working at in Houston. One day I'm filling in on this radio station and the Seahawks traded for Jadevian Clowney. So I started talking about it from the Texans perspective. And then Mike Salk who I texted about the trade said, well, why don't you talk about it from the Seahawks perspective? Next thing I know, I'm getting flown up to Seattle. A couple of weeks later, I meet Danny and the rest is history. So for two years, we put, I thought, a very fun show together. You did. And been covering a football team that, thank God, at least for the last two seasons, had been better than the Houston Texans. But now, like, <laughs> oh, man. they're one game better than them. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yeah man well you know it's uh and and to those listening the danny he's referring to is the same danny o'neill that we had on the show and and you two were really really good together i i appreciated the uh the the dynamic that you guys had between danny who's been a part of seattle media for a long time and you coming in a little bit from the outside that was a perspective that i really appreciated and continue to appreciate uh you know, it's it's one of the reasons I'm most excited to have you on besides your irresistible charm is that <laughs> you have had a chance to view the Carol Wilson era Seahawks both up close and from afar. And I'm very curious to hear your thoughts and, and how they might differ from those of us who have been glued to this team the whole time. And there's a lot to get to with that. But let's start with Monday night's game against Washington. What was your main takeaway from watching that one? Russell Wilson can't play anymore. The rest of this season, I think that they've got to, at the very least, take a step back. And if they're talking about after the game, Pete Carroll specifically, saying that there are plays out there that it just looks like he can't make, then can you, in good faith, 
keep him under center the rest of the year. And here's the tricky part. If you're Pete Carroll, you know that Russell Wilson should give you the best chance to win. And Russell Wilson, I know, wants to be out there because Russell Wilson wants to prove to everybody that Russell Wilson is still Russell Wilson. That dynamic is going to be really difficult for a coach that feels like is on the hot seat right now to make a choice like that when, you know, in this 17-game season, there's still a lot of time left. You know, we're only two-thirds of the way through the year. And to make a move like that could have some really drastic repercussions. But, Jackson, you saw it. There was a point down the stretch where, I mean, whether it was the sack where he just got absolutely pancaked, a couple of missed throws, where you're just thinking to yourself, okay, this this guy, either he's not healthy, something's not right upstairs, or there's something else going on, but he's not giving them a better chance to win necessarily than Geno Smith, which is crazy to say. It is. It is. And... <laughs> You know, we we built in an excuse for this team when Russell Wilson got hurt. And we said, you know what? For the next three to six games, it doesn't matter. However long he's out, we are going to sort of give this team to some degree a pass. I mean, I mean, yeah. we were still giving honest assessments of their performance, but it was always with the caveat that yeah, they got their backup in. They've been worse on offense since Russell Wilson got back than they were while he was out. And some of that is very obviously physical. I mean, there was two third down throws, I think three overall, where we're talking like targets that were five to eight yards in depth that he missed by like six feet. I mean, they weren't just like didn't quite lead the receiver. We're talking Gerald Everett standing by himself at the sticks and the ball is two yards to his left. So some of that, I honestly don't care about that all that much because I mean, for for all the sort of hero's journey he did with his finger and, you know, the 19 hour a day. Do you actually think, do you believe that he believes that he's fully healthy? Do you think he's convinced himself that? Golly, He's the man. kind of person that seems like he could, doesn't he? Yeah. With all the optimistic thinking that he has and good for him, but there's a certain point where you got to be realistic. We're talking about one of the most outwardly mind over matter athletes in America. And until now, there's been no reason to doubt it. This is, you know, lots of athletes like to talk about being doubted, being hated, being forgotten and overlooked and all of these things as a motivation. But, you know, Russ has dealt with that from his time as a prep quarterback. And all he's done is be insanely good at every level of football and somehow continuing to get better. So there's been no reason to doubt him saying, oh, I think I can do this, or I know that I can do this, as implausible as it looked. But we've never seen him deal with an injury that was beyond just toughness. And that's the thing with this particular injury. We know Russell Wilson is insanely tough. And mm-hmm. and part of it has to go with the incredible um, investment monetarily and time-wise that he puts into his body and, and preparing it for the rigors of an NFL season. But a lot of it is just straight-up toughness. I mean, I don't know if yeah. you remember a few years ago where he got stepped on by Indomitian Sue and then he missed like one play and it, it looked like he broke his ankle. And then the next week, uh, a 49er, I think it was Patrick Bowman, rolled up on his ankle. And and there's a still shot of his shin bending, like half his shins on the ground and the other half is practically upright. And he missed like two plays and played the rest of the season. His toughness is unbelievable. That is a mind over matter thing. A severed tendon, I got to think there's some limitations to what a positive attitude can do in terms of actually healing yeah. that thing. So I, I do believe he believes that 
he can overcome this, but we are staring at a reality where that is just not currently the case. Ask another quarterback how they'd feel about it. I think Brock Heward had tweeted out something about it, a guy who was regularly on our show, and he said, like, look, I mean, something is clearly not right. And I think you're right. I mean, I think that maybe the only player in the NFL that you could argue is mentally tougher than Russell Wilson is Tom Brady. That's it. And, and even then, I, I feel like it's a pretty close conversation when you're talking about the two. When I was in Houston, there were two things that I knew about Russell Wilson. It's that he's going to get sacked 40 times a year, and sometimes he, somehow he's going to play 16 games. It never made any sense to me, but it's one of the reasons that from afar, I always thought this guy's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I was quick on that one, I mean, you know, especially at the end of 2015 with the way that he played down the stretch. But yeah, I mean, whether it's, you know, I, I remember this growing up, and I, I'm sorry I always bring up references from Houston or from Boston, but I grew up in Boston. I'm a Patriots fan. Yep. Drew Bledsoe had a stretch where one of the, I, I think his fingers was just messed up and he was able to play through it for a time. And he actually had two dramatic back-to-back -back comeback wins. It was against the Dolphins and the Bills, but then he was done the rest of the year. And I think that they even realized at a certain point, like, yeah, this finger, it's limiting what drew could do and it's definitely limiting what russ can do and there's something else going on i feel like too where and i think this is a year going back a year problem jackson something towards the end of the 2020 season just shifted for the seahawks and that offense and what is a great question because clearly it's not the offensive coordinator right i mean you have a new offensive coordinator right now and you're seeing a lot of the same problems going on so I think part of this is the injury, but there's another thing going on here. And that I don't really know exactly how to explain because it's just weird to see Russ as just another quarterback as opposed to being like clearly a top three guy. Yeah, and, and if it was him just being another quarterback, that would be stunning. He is playing like the worst quarterback in the NFL, yeah. arguably. I mean, his stat line is fairly clean at the end of the day uh, from the Washington game. Keep in mind, Washington came in 31st on defense in DVOA. And the second touchdown, I mean, he looked great on that last drive. He looked like old Russell yeah. Wilson. Like it was outside of taking that bewildering sack. He was diming up all his throws. That touchdown pass to Freddie Swain, even though Swain was wide open, if there was any throw that he could get away with a wobbler is that one. But instead, it was a perfect vintage Russell Wilson spiral 40 yards through the air. So it's, it's in there. It's in there. And you look at the stat sheet, and he's 20 of 31. He's thrown for about 250 yards, a couple touchdowns. His interception on the two-point conversion doesn't go in the stat sheet. And you look at it, and you're like, right. oh, that's passer rating of 110. That's a very misleading stat line if you're watching every play of that game. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and we've seen it. They, didn't, they had one touchdown against the Cardinals the week prior, shut out the week before that. Like I was saying earlier, if it was just the missed throws, I would just chalk it up to the finger. But he's like... He's missing guys mentally. There mm -hmm. are open players that he isn't throwing it to for whatever reason. And I don't know if it's getting used to being back in the speed of battle after taking a month off. Um, I don't know what it is, but a lot of these replays where they show the slow motion and they're kind of zoomed in on Russ, he's dropping his eyes very, very early. He's taking a step back. He's looking at his first read. And then he's looking down at defenders. And when you do that, it's really difficult to then re-raise your eyes and anticipate where your receivers are going. You kind of have to find them again and then anticipate it instead of 
just scanning, which is what he's always been so good at. And that to me tells me that he's just not mentally ready to be back. Do you think it's uh, seven years of nanobubbles <laughs> catching up to him? <laughs> Man, all, op- all options are on the table with this cat for sure. Everything, everything that makes him the most important Seattle athlete of all time, or one of two with Ken Griffey Jr., Everything that makes him that is what makes him a wild card. He is a one-of-one type of person. One of my theories is that he's addicted to big plays. And it's, I think, a mellow dramatization of what we're seeing with Russ to a degree. But if you take a look at this season, whether it's the game against Indianapolis where they have a big play or against Tennessee where they have a big play or even in the game on Monday night, where you see him hit Tyler Lockett wide open down the left sideline, you see one of those plays, and I feel like that is the kind of play that maybe be- makes Russ believe that this version of Russ, even with the busted finger, can still make all of those throws. And you've heard him in press conferences, too, saying, well, I mean, have you seen the spiral on my pass when it's going downfield? Yeah. You know, <laughs> when I see that, I'm like, calm down, bro. Uh, but, you know, as things have gone this past year or so, they have gotten away from being able to run the ball effectively. Part of that, I think, has to do with Chris Carson being injured. I think you could blame it on the offensive line a little bit if you want. You could also blame it on some of the play-calling decisions when they've decided to run the football. But I, I, I think Russ has also been brought back to earth by something that not just Russell Wilson is being brought back to earth by. There was a conversation on Twitter um, on Wednesday between a couple of guys who I really respect as far as their football knowledge. They watch way more film than me, and they're going to bring the analytics into the argument. I, I'm just a, yowd la- a loud yapper that can barely speak English sometimes. But with uh, Eric Eager, Ted Wynn, and uh, it was Frisco Josh, and there was a back and forth over what we're seeing in the NFL this year where it feels like the Chiefs are struggling. It feels like the Bills are struggling, and you could argue both of those teams can't really run the football. And you're seeing the same thing with the Seahawks, and I think that the cliche statement's been, well, cover two is stopping them because they can't run the ball. But, you know, sometimes football is really simple, and it does kind of feel that way with those two teams. So there's also a little bit of that that's been drifting in um, as well, in addition to my main theory as far as Russ and my biggest frustration with Russ is that he loves to chuck the ball down the field. I don't blame him. He's got a beautiful deep ball, and when it happens, it happens. But there's really only one guy that it feels like he's been in sync with on those for the most part this year. It's been Tyler Lockett. Yep. It clearly hasn't been DK Metcalf. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wanna I wanna circle back to that specific dynamic a little bit later on. But I, I think that you're right. This is a theory that you and I share. And it is that we have seen Russ be kind of an all or nothing passer. You know, he has eschewed these short passes his whole career, a lot of times choosing not to take the check down, trusting his ability to get out of trouble and extend plays until the big shot happens. He has a very high average depth of target every year. He's among the league leaders every single year in average yards per attempt, average depth of target, yards per completion. He loves the big play. And that has worked really, really well when Bevel was there, when Schottenheimer was there until the last half of the season. It was there, and he was able to take advantage of that with his very unique ability to have long-distance precision. What we're seeing right now is an offense that, while not removing the big play, was brought in specifically to counter the counter that defenses were showing. Right? They're saying, okay, Russ, 
we know you can beat us over the top, so we're just not going to let you. We're going to drop our safeties an extra three yards back. We're going to do all of these things. We're going to mix it up underneath and just make it difficult for you. We're going to force you to take checkdowns, and, and he has struggled with that. In comes Shane Waldron. Sounds like Russell Wilson wanted Shane Waldron. They like the idea of this quick passing Rams offense to then help open those plays back up, to draw the safeties up in combination with what was supposed to be a creative running attack and and all of this kind of stuff, misdirection and, and things of that nature. And we saw that for the first six quarters of this year, we saw that. They looked great against the Colts. They scored 24 points against a good Titans defense in one half, and then it disappeared. And I have no insight as to how or why, what happened was we see an offense reverting to some old habits, which is a stagnant, uncreative rushing game and a quarterback who is dead set on throwing it deep. I mean, his last interception yeah. against Green Bay, he had two receivers wide open for an easy first down, like wide open. And he threw it into double coverage in the end zone, right? This is yeah. a guy that is... I think forcing it right now. And, and it might be one of those things where, all right, so I like to bet on sports and for the most part, I've done pretty well at it. And the reason for it is I'm selective about the matchups that I pick and I make small to medium sized bets. And I just assume that on aggregate, the goal is to win six out of every 10. Well, if I hit a cold streak, I want to get it all back. If I lose <laughs> eight out of 10, then I'm like, well, shit, I'm in the hole. This ain't me. I'm getting it all back. And I go big on a bet. That's and just that, why I don't gamble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and, and that has burned me. And, and I'm wondering how much of that is happening with Russell Wilson, where it's like, okay, this isn't going well. We're not scoring a lot of points. I need to get this all back right now. And you start to take shots that you normally wouldn't when everything is clicking, when you're winning the small bets, when you're getting the short completions and you're running it well and you can stay within rhythm. But one thing this offense does not have is any semblance of rhythm right now. Yeah. It's also, um, you know, you brought it up. You want to get it all back. It's impatience. Yeah. And, you know, you, you do see it with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, too, in these other offenses. Absolutely. Like, all right, dink and dunk, dink and dunk, dink and dunk. Eventually, you're going to want to shoot your shot. And, and here's what's tricky. Was Russ not one of the most safe players in the NFL when it came to not turning the football over for the majority of his career? Historically speaking, he is elite at that. Exactly. And that's not the case anymore. And why that isn't the case, it all goes back to, right, Like it feels like he's impatient out there. I mean, that's why, that's the reason I really loved him. And also, here's the other part. And you mentioned, you know, some of those plays that he extends. He can't extend them the way he used to. He's just not as fast as he used to yep. be. And I think we saw it the second half of last year, and, and we've seen it a lot. Like, he can still escape the pocket from time to time, but he's not doing those Houdini figure eight things that we've been seeing him do for the entirety of his career to the same degree of success that we have in the past. And that's going to hurt your ability to throw these beautiful deep passes downfield where Tyler Lockett and you have the Vulcan mind meld going on, and you seem to know exactly where you guys are. And, you know, this, the, you still see it with Tyler Lockett. I mean, that the, the connection that those two have is great, but... You would think that now that there is a legit like top 15 wide receiver across from Tyler Lockett, and you could argue Lockett is too, with DK Metcalf, that 
this would still, even with some of the impatience and struggles that have been going on, that there still would be plays available because you got two guys that are really good at stretching the field. And yeah, they're just not able to do it at all. It's interesting. And I, and, and I don't want the takeaway from this conversation to be folks thinking that I think Russ is washed. I don't think that's I the do. case at all. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> Aggregate that. Here's, here's the thing is that before he got hurt this year, he had a passer rating of 130. It's not a perfect stat, but when you have the highest passer rating of any quarterback in the history of the NFL over any stretch of time, you're playing well. He had a league-leading 11 touchdowns versus one interception. That interception came in the game he got hurt. He was dealing. He His numbers were as good on a per-attempt, per-game basis as they have ever been in his career. That didn't change. All of the things that made Russ that guy have not changed outside of his fingers hurt. And and look, we see it with top-level athletes all the time. When you try and play through an injury, it creates yeah. changes in your physical approach, right? If a baseball player that is, is protecting a rib injury, your swing is different. Same thing with golfers. You see, you see basketball players go through shot adjustments. I mean, golfers are changing their swings constantly, and a lot of it has to do with little nicks and dings, and then you start to create other habits. And so, you know, I think we're just seeing Russ work through that. But I think it was an interesting thought to say, it, and, and this will never happen. There is no way. It would be setting the franchise on fire if they just benched Russ for the season. It's not going to happen. But it is going to be really interesting. Now that winning doesn't, matter as much as it has because you don't even you have heard like it your a... first winning does not matter <laughs> officially slogan established it it it, it <laughs> you know it, it certainly matters i think ideologically i think it matters from... i mean you're still in it right a motivation standpoint te- technically i mean you're still you're, te- a, you're, you're still in ahead a... of the lions in the nfc and as long the as the you're NFC, ahead of the like, lions paul paul uh, look I'm, i think it's over <laughs> paul i think it's over but you got Pete Carroll as your head coach, and you got Russell Wilson, totally. Mr. Optimism. So totally. You got two guys who are going to look at it in a totally different light. And, you know, to going back to what you are saying a little bit ago where something's off, do we want Russ to be less confident in himself right now? Of course <laughs> Because not. if he's less confident in, in himself, maybe he's not going to make some of these crazy throws that he has been trying to make. I, d- I don't want him hesitating at all, especially now that it doesn't matter. Because for for the first time... In Russell Wilson's career, in Pete Carroll's Seattle career, we have a stretch of games that do not affect their odds at winning a championship. And now we get to just evaluate. Like that's that's been my release on all of this is okay, I don't have to live and die with whether they win anymore. I want them to win. It's good for the culture to win. It's not good for the culture to finish this thing four and thirteen and be punting the number four overall pick. I want them to win games. But what I care about more right now is seeing them work through these issues, specifically on offense, because I do want to talk about this defense in a little bit, but specifically on offense and and seeing Russ battle through this. I think that is important. I think that, okay, if the goal is to win as many games down the stretch as possible, there is a case to be made that maybe a fully healthy Geno just gives you a better shot at winning more games. 
I think it's going to be really, really, really important that Russ works through this at game speed. And I think that he will. There is no reason to look at Russell Wilson's career zoomed out and think he's not going to get through this. Everybody goes through a tough stretch. It happens. It's fine. Yeah, Rodgers had it just two years ago. Totally. People were talking about... He looked like crap. People were talking about Rodgers being done. That was a whole huge thing in Seahawks Twitter was Rodgers is done because his analytics had him as a middle-of-the-pack quarterback for like two straight years. He just watched him. He sucked. Like, if you watched him at the end of that season, he was not good. It was crazy. It was weird to see it. And, yeah, I thought that. But then the next season, he wins MVP. Yeah, you you can make a case he's been the best quarterback in the NFL the last two seasons. Like, Yeah, I wouldn't argue that at all. Yeah, You know, write off Hall of Fame athletes at your own risk. And I'm not doing (laughs) that with Russ. We're in full evaluation mode. What I care about more... Then whether Russ gets this figured out, because again, I'm not overly concerned about him long-term, is can we see what this offense is supposed to look like? We got a glimpse of it for six quarters at the beginning of the season. Like I said, there was a beautiful game and a half. And then now, you know, all of this, I I talked about this in my article this week and, and had a little back and forth with a couple folks on Twitter about it. You know, I was saying one of the things that was advertised to us and that we got to taste at the very beginning of the, uh, of the season to say, like, you know how, like, when uh, a server offers you a bottle of wine and they, they let you either taste a little bit or smell the cork, and you're like, yeah, okay. Except for Mike. Mike's probably like, no, I'll send it back. But I just chug it. <laughs> he, <laughs> it but, all tastes red to me. So, so we, we got that. We got that from this offense. We're like, yeah, we'll ha- I'll, I'll have that. That smells amazing. Mm. And instead, what we've got is this really vanilla offense that doesn't use a lot of motion that isn't up tempo hasn't been moving the pocket and i had a couple of folks who say well actually yeah they have been doing that so i looked at the numbers and according to true media they are 25th in the nfl in pre-snap motion they're below average on play action they're 19th in time to snap so they're not moving quickly and and i get and and they're atrocious on third down. I mean, we're talking about a team that is outside of the newly expansion 1999 Cleveland Browns, the lowest time of possession of any team in NFL history. Do do you want to see something crazy? So of course, I guess there's only been, wait, are you going to show me your browser history? Cause no, 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 no. Unless you want to see it. (laughs) No, what I'm going to, what I'm going to show you here is they're the only team in the NFL to in the same season have five consecutive three and outs twice. That's incredible. Like that's, that's nuts. (laughs) Like I I, I didn't know that was possible, but you've, you've seen it from them and yeah, they're catastrophically bad on third down, which by the way, has been a problem for the last couple of seasons. Like this is not necessarily just exclusive to this year. Like they, there were moments last season. I remember I was like, wow, they're not very good on third down. Um, they're, they're moving the football and Russ looks like the MVP, but like, why are they weirdly like 30% on third down? And yeah, those things now it's just like, whoa, is Russell Wilson really here? It's hard to believe that he is with those stats. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And it's been one of my frustrations with the offense, regardless of who the offensive coordinator is, is it, scoring points seems to be highly predicated on converting third downs. It's something that you hear Pete Carroll say a lot. He wants to win on third down. When they have bad offensive games, 
his response is often we need to do better on third downs. And and I would like to see them avoid third downs completely as much as possible. Yeah, Russell Russell Wilson had Russell Wilson is like an eight to a ten out of ten in almost every aspect of being a quarterback. He has been a below average quarterback on third down, whether it be completion percentage, first down conversion. He has been below average for most of his career. And yet they seem to continue to want to predicate this offense on the ability to convert a lot of third downs. And I want to switch the conversation to the defense a little bit. And and we're about to talk about how awesome they've been. Yeah. And and but what's interesting to me, and and I really thought about this writing the article. Monday night was Seattle's defense from a points allowed a standpoint has been amazing for the last two months, but they give up some long ass drives. There's two, there's two parts to being the lowest time of possession team. There's offensive ineptitude, but then there's also the defense's inability to get off the field and they are taking bend, but don't break to an absolute high. I mean, they gave up two 15 plus play drives in that game on Monday night and Washington came away with three points on those two. So it's a little bit misleading. Okay. You only gave up three points on those two drives. Great. There goes 23 minutes of the game or whatever it was that your offense isn't on the field and that you also can't score points. You have to be able to get off the field. So it seems like the defensive philosophy is make them convert on third downs a bunch. That's how we win. Well, if that's how you win on defense, why are you asking your offense to then do the same thing? Yeah, it's a great question. Now, I will say, as far as awesome with the defense, with the way that they're getting pushed around in the line of scrimmage, um, I, I can't quite go that far. But they have been better. They've been clearly the better unit, and the offense isn't helping them out at all. And you can, and I think you brought it up, Jackson, during the game. Like, Bobby Wagner looks gassed. And I have been one of the few that's not exactly feeling Bobby Wagner anymore. I thought the first team all pro last year was a reach uh, just based off of the linebacker. I saw, I still think he's making tackles all over the place and stuff, but the kind of impact, the kind of game changing ability that he had not quite there, but yeah, you're right. And if offensively they can't give that defense a break, like what the hell can the defense do? You know, like outside of forced takeaways. And it's hard to do that when teams know that they can get these sustained drives against you. Maybe things get difficult when they get in the red zone because you have guys who fly all over the field with the way that Jamal Adams has been playing. And and for the most part, I think you, you've seen pretty good play out of Jordan Brooks in the box. Like those guys fly all over the field and that field becomes a lot shorter with the way that they play defense in the red zone. But, you know, if you're just going to get pushed around, these teams are still moving the ball on you, and it's hard for the offense to get in sync when they're just sitting cooling off on the sideline for 10 minutes at a time. It's it's yin and yang, and, and you know, their complimentary football is a real thing. No matter how annoying it is when coaches talk about it, it is a real thing. And I feel like the defense has been good, but the offense has really just said, like, all right, clean up our shit. Clean it up. Clean up the shit. And, and the offense, you know, it's like a person that walks his dog and just leaves it on the sidewalk. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's such a bewildering thing that this defense has been giving up so many long drives. But since the Rams game, which is the last time that they really looked disheveled on defense. So we're talking that was game five. They've had 11. So six games now. I would say they look fairly disheveled against the Cardinals. Yeah, it was Colt McCoy. <laughs> they, yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, I like would say being, I would say that was were... a 50 50 game for, for the defense. I, I don't think they were bad, but I, I hear you, Mike. 
for the most part, though, can we all agree that for the most part, over the last six games, they've been good? Agree. They've been better than the offense. Well, okay, I agree okay. On that. Okay, yeah. but let's, and, and I okay, think, so let's talk about this, though. average, definitely, on defense. I think, yes. I think it depends on what you look at because, okay, we are talking about a defense that does not get sacks. We're talking about a defense that does not force turnovers. We're talking about a defense that gives up a lot of third-down conversions. That all sounds bad. And yet, despite playing more plays on defense than any team in the last 30 years, <laughs> just about. That's something. Okay? More plays, more minutes, all of that. Only the New England Patriots have given up fewer points over the last six weeks than the Seattle Seahawks 16 and change. And that's with two overtime games. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's one of those things where, you know, yeah. you you look at the ingredients and, and you say, how did, how did that end up tasting so good? I hate like three of those ingredients, but this recipe fucks. Like, that's what we're seeing with this defense. They aren't giving up points. They're on the field all game long. They're letting the other team run 70 plays a game, and they're only giving up 16 points. It's interesting that they're second to New England, too, on that, because the Patriots have some weird statistic where teams are like 60% on field goals against them this year. Just this weird fluke luck I'm statistic. So. Belichick. Black magic, and he's, I know, that's the best he's, part. he's straight up. He's he's got he's got sleeper cells in every stadium. Effect, might be like turning up Mexico the wind. City, they have laser pointer problems in Mexico City at the games there very often. For those who might have remembered, there was a game between the Raiders and Texans a couple of years ago, and Brock Osweiler actually did yeah. look like a, a giraffe stumbling in his own shit. Um, in that game, like he had a laser being shined into his eye, and he actually was decent. So I don't know what that means, but uh, yeah, maybe there's people in the crowds that are shining lasers. Hey at man, the I'm not I'm not putting anything past Belichick. <laughs> I love it. I would love to see a deep statistical dive because because they had Vinatieri for the longest time who never missed. I mean, made every every big kick. Here's what's ever. funny: he did miss, but he didn't miss the big ones. He didn't like, miss the, the big second, ones, right? The second Super Bowl, he missed two field goals, and he had missed a bunch of field yep. goals that I season remember this at NRG Stadium. That was against the Panthers, right? Yes. Yeah. He had missed like four field goals that year at that specific stadium and that, but he made the one that mattered and everyone kind of forgets. I want to, I want to see. Yeah. I want to see what like uh, an analytical dive on expected field goal percentage in Patriots games in the Belichick era, <laughs> both for their team and for the opposition. And just, just see if this is something that is, is actually real, but it's a fascinating thing to look at this defense, really to look at this team. They don't do anything in the middle. Either their defense is on pace to allow the most yards in history, the most points that's ever been fathomed, like the first half of last year or the first five games of this year. And you're just like, oh my God, they can't stop anybody. How are they this bad? And then the switch flips and they're a top five defense. I mean, last year they were second only to the Rams in the second half of the season in points allowed. Right now, they're second to the Patriots, both over the last six-game stretch, but season-long, they're second in points allowed. The offense is either on pace to set all of these records like they were last year or they're a, and the beginning of this year, or they're atrocious, like horrible. And, and, and I, don't get I don't get it, man. <laughs> like at some point, it stops being a coincidental fluke. It stops being this, oh, funny series of outliers where either the offense or the defense is the best or the worst in the NFL. And then they also never match up. 
we haven't seen the offense be awesome at the same time as the defense or the offense be terrible at the same time as the defense in a really long time, not for any extended period of time. I don't know what's going on, man. That is bizarre. Yeah, shoot. I mean, I bet you would even go back to those seasons where the Legion of Boom wasn't quite the Legion of Boom, and you probably didn't have that, even when Russ was sort of blossoming into the Russell Wilson that we at least thought of him as before this weird past yeah, year. Yeah. And let's and let's just for the sake for the sake of the discussion for for the rest of the show, let's let's assume Russell Wilson gets right again. Because we I, I assume he will. Yeah. yeah. I, I really think that right whatever's going on right now. I, I think there's a bunch of factors. I do think we make a lot of excuses for Russell Wilson. And we do. I would specifically I do. point to Seahawks Twitter. I think y'all need to calm the fuck down often. Like, chill. Well, well chill let's, okay. With the anti right. Pete stuff. Let's, you know, like, I get it. It's, I get it. Pete's old, but like, it's not all on Pete. It's no. not all about throw every single down. So no, no, that's certainly. That's my one thing I want to get out there. C- certainly, certainly. And I, and, and I think that there is, you know, some, some nuance within that discussion. But I, I, I think yeah. I've, I've painted with that brush. For no, sure. No, you do all the time. That's, I mean, this is like, I, I think there's, a, there are level headed people out there. I, I do think, though, that, you know, he's going to bounce back. It, it's, he's, he's one of the hardest workers in the NFL. He's going to have to adapt his game, I think, a little bit. I don't think he's going to be able to do some of the things moving out of the pocket. And I think he's going to have to find a different way to perhaps make some of those plays happen downfield in the way that we're accustomed to seeing him do when things break down. But, I believe that he can figure out a way. The guy's a maniac. He probably spends too much time on football as it totally, is. Totally. Totally. You know? I I I'm not I'm not worried about about Russ could could struggle for the rest of the season. I still want him as my quarterback. Like that's yeah. that's fine. The, give the guy a 6-month off season. Have him not play in the playoffs for once and actually spend a month rehabbing, an extra month rehabbing instead of getting beat up. I'm 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 fine with Russell Wilson's future, but I I do think that it's going to be really, really interesting to see over these next six games whether what we're seeing from the defense is sustainable. Can can they continually be put on the field for 40 minutes a game and still play at this level? Can the offense give them a break? Will we see that improve? And, and in some way, Mike and I were talking about this before the show, in some way it's liberating to just say, you know what? Finally, this isn't their year. There have been plenty of years in the last 10 seasons where it didn't feel like their year. Hell, in 2013, when they won the Super Bowl with one of the most dominant performances in championship game history against the record-setting Denver Broncos, during that season, they sucked for like five straight games. They went three and two during a stretch where they scored like 12 points a game. So it's like, we, we have to zoom out. I'll never forget the following year, the Patriot, the year the Patriots beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl in like Game Four or Five that year, they got housed by the Chiefs. They lost by oh, yeah, like I remember that four. To, of course you did. Seattle. They lost by like four touchdowns to Alex Smith and yeah. Bill Belichick's fielding questions about whether it's time for a quarterback change. Right? Yeah, you obviously remember this. So I went on. You know what? I went on a date that game and I missed it. I got home and I was like, what the fuck happened? And then I saw the press conference where Belichick's just saying like, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. And I remember the next week, like I I was uh, driving back home um, because I had covered the Texans Cowboys game and I was listening to the game on the radio and the Patriots kicked the Bengals ass. And yeah, then they were back on track. And the next thing you know, they won the Super Bowl. It's weird. You know, these things happen. You can't expect perfection out of a team every single year. And I think it's easy to get spoiled when it comes to Russell Wilson because he has been the epitome of toughness and he has always 
you know, at least over the last like five, six years, you you have a pretty good idea of who he is. So I, yeah, I, I well, and we no need, one's we saying need he's to, washed. I no no no, and and I think you bring up a good point. We need to be willing. Those of us who talk about, write about, tweet about this team, we need to be willing to level the same type of criticism and filter to him that we do to the coaches that we do to other players for sure. Yeah. Here's what I will say in the same way that if DK Metcalf has an off game or, or actually this is a better, a better example. If, if Bobby Wagner has an off game or an off stretch for two or three games, you say, okay, yeah, I acknowledge that he hasn't been at his best. He's maybe missed an assignment or missed a tackle or whatever, but you zoom out. Right. And, and it's the same way that you can't invest looking at your money every single day. You just got to zoom out on the chart. And when you zoom out on Russell Wilson's chart, you see this parabolic improvement throughout his career. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm betting on, but you're right. It is time to be critical of Russell Wilson's play. And, and I'm, you know, much was made of his press conference. This, you know, the team was late later than usual to the pressers this week. And it sounds like it was a pretty somber locker room and some things got said. And one of the speakers was Russell Wilson. And from all accounts, it sounds like he went there and he owned it. He said, this is on me. I haven't been playing well. He said as much in his post-game presser. His eyes were red. So much of Russell Wilson is so prepared and so... And when I say scripted, I don't mean inauthentic. I mean that he cares so much about getting his words right that they are rehearsed and it comes off as rehearsed sometimes and, and a little bit phony, but I, I do think it's because he cares so much about getting things right as the leader of a franchise, as a business owner, as all of these things, but he, that was not the normal Russell Wilson. I, I do feel like there's probably some level of personal accountability there. Oh, definitely. And I, I, I bet for him, this is tough. You know, when, when you've always dominated people all of a sudden are questioning you and it's been going like this for a year. And maybe you thought that the reasons you were struggling were the things around you. You have to come back to it. And look, I, I've always felt that Russell Wilson is about Russell Wilson. I don't have a problem with that. If Me you're an either. athlete, you should probably be about yourself, but in a team game like this too, you can't seemingly remove yourself from the equation. And that's what it felt like he was doing this off season. It's like, well, it's not my fault. You know, that's the vibe that I got, like, going into this year. And, you know, some of the the weird public relations things that he did over the course of the offseason. These are the teams that, you know, if I wanted to be traded to, I'd be okay with. And, you know, pointed his agent, um, Mark Rogers, for that one, probably more so than Russ. <laughs> okay, but, okay. I mean, Mark, Mark Rogers is, a, is just, like, a content gift to people covering the team. I don't like them. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't know him. that anybody Nothing against you, Mark, I, but I don't like, I him. don't know how many people have come out in like ardent support. Of him. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think anyone's supporting agents, but he, he, he gets, he, he gives us lots to talk about for sure. Uh, with, with Russ, um, you know, you can hear when he's filibustering too. It says at the end of the day, you know, the reality <laughs> yeah. is like he has trigger words. You know what? In radio, we all learn to filibuster. Sometimes you have things going on in your head and you just start bullshitting and you're not even saying anything. You're like, you know, so what I've been really thinking about is, you know, at the end of the day, like we do the same exact stuff. So I can't really judge him too much. No, on no, that. No, no, no. He has to, he has to adapt, adapt or die. You know, that's the story of the NFL. Um, and, I th and I think he's done it. You mentioned earlier that he can't count on the same level of escapability 
that he had. He, he cannot. You're right. Like he cannot. He has to. He has to accept that. And I, I think he's starting to, but it's hard to do it in like think, one week. I think he's been doing it. I mean, we're talking about a quarterback that ran for almost 900 yards one season. And now it's like not even an option. I mean, he'll scramble once in a while. I would love to see him just keep it on a read option like once a game. Just do it once a game because teams just I mean, teams are just crashing on the running back every time they do that. And that used to be such a huge weapon for this offense was the threat of his him keeping it. But aside from that, we have seen as he's lost mobility, we've actually seen his passing efficiency increase. His yeah. yards per attempt and completion, his completion percentage, his touchdown ratio, his touchdown to interception ratio, all of these things have continued to improve. He has done the thing that you see great basketball players do. When Michael Jordan lost it, and I'm not saying Russell Wilson is Michael Jordan. I'm just using an example of another great athlete. When Michael Jordan stopped being the most explosive player on the court, he became the most lethal mid-range jump shooter on the court. He adapted. He found the ways to continue to be effective. LeBron James is no longer a 21-year-old just out sprinting people up and down the court. Ball's always in his hand. He's always guarding the opposing team's best player. He's a post player. He... He, he, he defers, he he doesn't, he has adapted his game. What we're looking for with Russell Wilson is that adaptation. I think that was happening. I really do think that has been happening. And I, and I hope that trying to make the midseason adjustments to play with this busted finger doesn't create, you know, a, 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 a distracted habit or something where he's trying to do things that once fully healthy, he needs to, he needs to correct, but you know, I, I I think that we are looking at a quarterback who is going to be good for a long time, if not great, and and that's fine. I want to step back and present you with a hypothetical, Paul. Oh. We have, you know, you, you were gracious enough to have me on Gallant Says last week, and we talked yeah. a fair bit about the Pete and Russ dynamic. By the way, that is a great, great podcast. You should absolutely Thank be you. checking it out. I appreciate that. Uh, it it is. It's just it's organic, just man. It's it's <laughs> what I it's it's what I love about you. It's just real. But we talked quite a bit about choosing between Pete and Russ on that show. We've talked about it quite a bit mm-hmm. in this show and in my articles. I want to set that aside for the sake of this conversation. Let's assume Pete and Russ are both back next year, and we're just putting the will they or won't they on the shelf for another NFL calendar oh. year. Okay, that topic's not going anywhere. We can pick it up anytime. That is an interesting can to to, to reseal, but uh, okay, keep going. Let's say, I mean, there is a non-zero <laughs> chance that they are both in Seattle next year. It's it would be something else if they were. It really would be. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance? Let's go down the hypothetical road. Though. I, I I do because if if we don't, then you know there's yeah. a trillion scattershot directions we can go. But let's say Pete, oh no doubt both Pete and Russ are under contract in Seattle next year. Let's say they're here. But now you've been given the keys to the organization. You're the new GM. You're the president of football operations. You have influence. Is Schneider canned in this scenario? Is Paul replacing Schneider, or is he coming in as a consultant? Now Paul, Paul is John Schneider. Oh, yeah, Gallant the usurper. <laughs> I like that. No, no, no. So, so you are a a hypothetical, fictitious GM, president of football operations. My point is, you got some influence. No, and Pete and Russ are there, but everything else is open to discussion. 
What are the main things that you are trying to accomplish with this franchise over the next year, year and a half? Bring back the silver helmets. Okay, deal. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, full, full but, cosign. But, but uh, like that—that's that's my good platform. Take. This is finally this is, a good take. <laughs> this we got platform. one out of him today. If you look pretty, you might play better. And I don't have any problem necessarily with the uniforms that they're wearing now. They're better than the things that they were wearing in the Holmgren era. You know, oh, like God. those things. I don't know what the hell those were. They, you looked like submarines. You know, like, <laughs> looked like someone cool. spilled finger paint all over them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woohoo! We're a bunch of we're a bunch of army men in, that you can you know plastic army men that you can find. Those are um, I I like their I like their current uniform. I'm I'm, I'm not crazy about Ashton Green, but I I, 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 I like their current uniform. But the the silver and blue look is 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 amazing. Okay, so that's that's the me being stupid. Um, so you're gonna have to start looking at what's next at head coach. Period, because it does feel like the command with which Pete is operating it's not the same and you know it's great to have a guy who is i think as open who listens who doesn't get angry it's great to have a guy like that in today's nfl but when things don't go well players can take advantage of it and you know i think that's true even 25 years ago and pete carroll found that out the hard way when he was in new england so I think you need to bring in somebody to the building. If you are going to decide to go with the same two, you need to bring in an assistant coach that is going to really bolster that room. And it's a different voice. And it's almost somebody that you would be bringing in to, I guess, be like an independent arbiter or something like that. I don't know if that's a defensive coach or an offensive coach. I would guess that if you bring in another offensive coach after, you know, three straight offensive coordinators or something like that, I, I'm not sure exactly if that works, but there needs to be another voice in the room. That voice also could be something that say, I'm not John Schneider is somebody else that gets brought in, but it feels like this trifecta needs an outside perspective of some sort of what they can do differently. <laughs> yeah, I'm hot. I mean, you know, I'm not doing anything outside of playing flag football. So, I mean, you know, what's up? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, so we get another, we get another voice in the room coaching wise. Let's talk offensive philosophy, defensive philosophy, roster construction. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples. You got Quandre Diggs coming up for an extension. What do you do with him? I love Quandre Diggs so much. I think he's been I the like best. The I think he's been the best Seahawk this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I love the person. Uh, I got to play him in NBA 2K my first year here, and we had a conversation about things, and you know, I found out about his relationship with Tyler Lockett. And, but I also love the way he plays because it's not that he's just a safety that can play center field for you. He is not afraid to hit people, and I think that's an underrated trait in defensive backs. Now, you're a safety. You're, you're sort of expected to. He's a smaller guy. I want to extend digs, but you know, with what with what you gave Jamal Adams, I don't know how you can rationalize putting more money into that position. The problem, though, that I, I think that if if Pete Carroll is still you know in charge of your defense going forward, you know how important safety is to this defense, and you do need to have two safeties that you feel really good about. I don't know how they feel about Jamal Adams with the way that things have gone this year. I think Adams has played pretty well the last couple of weeks, to be perfectly honest. But they're using him in a way that feels a lot different than it was last season. I think Jamal Adams has been the exact guy you traded to first for for the last six weeks, and that's good. But you need more. You do so, and you have to invest re in re your resources elsewhere. 
you have two very inexpensive starting cornerbacks right now. Yeah, you know what? If that's the case, then then I'm gonna I'm gonna re-sign Quandre Diggs. That last part is key. But you have you have 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 to find another body outside. Like I like DJ Reed. I think he's solid. I love Trey Brown's potential. Love Trey Brown. Uh, the knee though makes me concerned because you know sure. those that was the sure. same thing that. Um, how am I forgetting his name? Uh, Mr. Uh, I have a really shady lawyer. I came over. Quinton Dunbar. Uh, Dunbar, <laughs> you know, Dunbar is a guy who had the knee issues last year. And, like, now he's – he's, I don't even think he's in the league anymore, you know, a year later. So, like, those things can, can hit. They got to find somebody else. Um, I, I love the Trey Brown pick, though. Like, I really – legitimately do love that pick and I, hopefully that gives you that a feeling that you can bring Quandre Diggs back to that point we've been really hard on this show and I think for good reason on Pete and John Schneider uh, for a number of reasons I, I think John Schneider has had a four or five year stretch of being a really bad GM and those chickens kind of came home to roost I think there's also a case to say that he's done a pretty good job with the last few drafts and and the arrow might be pointing up there but one of the one of the things with that is we haven't seen a bolstering of the depth in, in the secondary. I, I too would extend Quandry Diggs if I could. I think he's that important to this team. Mm -hmm. If you want to stay competitive, if the goal is to tear it down and rebuild, then, then whatever, don't tie up the money. But if in this scenario, we're keeping Pete and we're keeping Russ, then we're, we're not doing that. It's, it's a retooling. Okay. So we're, we're keeping Quandry Diggs around. Maybe we get away with it with those with those cornerbacks. Do you feel good about the overall direction of the defense? Would you keep Ken Norton Jr. around? Would you keep this defensive philosophy going? I, I think, you know what? I mean, that's, that's the one that I look at and I wonder, is Ken Norton Jr. challenging Pete Carroll or is he doing what Pete Carroll is asking him to do? And that's not to disrespect Ken Norton Jr. That's a serious question that I have. But I've always been under the impression, and it's mainly because of my conversations with my old co-host, Danny O'Neill, that Pete Carroll, it's Pete Carroll's defense. Okay. If it's Ken Norton Jr. there, I don't think Ken Norton Jr. is exactly someone who's challenging him. Pete, I trust with secondary things. All things defensive back, I, I, and that is, that is his background. The big question is, what's going on at the front levels? First off, you're getting pushed around of late when it comes to the run defense. You have been pushed around. I mean, you saw it against Washington. They're getting pushed around up front. A little difficult to find big bodies when you're not drafting early in the draft to find like an Aaron Donald type. The other problem, too, at the second level, I like Jordan Brooks. I don't know that he's going to be a great player, but I like Jordan Brooks. Bobby Wagner is not Bobby Wagner anymore, and that is a huge problem because Bobby Wagner of years past, I think, was a lot more impactful towards the line of scrimmage. My big problem with Bobby Wagner, and this is really more, I, I think, a lot of uh, residual effect of talking to some linebackers who, who watch Bobby. Bobby does not fly and occupy space at the line of scrimmage the way that he used to. As a linebacker, sometimes you are just a kamikaze pilot that is flying in to just fuck shit up in the middle of the offensive line. And Bobby doesn't do that anymore. I don't know if that is a he's not able to do it as much or if that's just he's changed and adapted his game. But sometimes you need a linebacker who's just a straight-up fucking psychopath. Micah Parsons is. Devin White is. Maybe it's something you can't keep for the entirety of your career. It's a really difficult, violent position. And, and you know, I, I do think that Bobby Wagner is still a good player. But Bobby Wagner is not amazing anymore. And there are moments where you see him at the second level being dragged back or missing tackles. And you're like, dude, fly up. 
fly up and fucking destroy that hole. And that's in the middle of your defense right now. And I think that the last two seasons, they've been reliant on this idea that Bobby Wagner's still Bobby Wagner. And, you know, to a degree, he's a good player. But if the middle of your defense is a Jamal Adams who you think you know how, you're, how to use him, and it's also Bobby Wagner who's not Bobby Wagner anymore, and you're paying those two a lot of money, like that's, that's where I look at the... Um, where I'm putting my resources, and that's my red flag. Like, if I were an auditor and I came in, I'd be like, okay, why the fuck are these two guys making that much money? So in a Gallant-run Seahawks situation, Bobby Wagner's playing out the contract, and it's thanks for the memories. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, yeah. And, I, and you know what? That's hard to say, but guess what? Like this, And he's he's going to be a Hall of Fame linebacker of course. someday. I mean, he's got, got actually MVP votes. You know, I, I, I think he's a hell of a player, but... You know that this is this is when the Patriots would cut you, and I I know this annoys some people, but I, I grew up watching the Patriots, and because I a grew year up too early Patriots, instead of a year too late, <laughs> I I was extremely lucky, you know. But it, you see things done that way; they're cutthroat, and it's a cutthroat league. And there is a certain point where, yeah, you can try to ride with a guy who brought you to some amazing moments for the entirety of his career. But I mean, you said goodbye to Richard Sherman, who to me on the outside looking in was the face of the Seahawks. I feel like after this year with Bobby Wagner, it's it's going to be the okay. same thing, and it should be the same thing. He has a dead cap hit of under four million dollars for twenty twenty two. There you go. So there's your Quandary Diggs money, by the way. Yeah. Okay. So keep it keep it Diggs. Thank thank you, Bobby. Appreciate you. I here's here's the thing that I do like about this. Bobby Wagner is one of my favorite football players of all time. It is still incumbent upon us to give honest assessments of things. I've got a buddy, Tyson, what's happening, where he and I go back and forth on Bobby Wagner a lot and, and talking about whether he's washed, whether he was worth the money. I supported the contract uh, extension because I think that it was made with the team that was still trying to win a Super Bowl and was in position to maybe do it. And and you just you couldn't subtract him from the locker Forget the field. You couldn't subtract him from the locker room. And say, yeah, okay, we're we got a chance of doing this. So I'm I'm fine with it. Maybe it was a slight overpay, whatever. I'm fine with moving on. It would break my heart, of course, but I'm fine with moving on. Okay, so digs in. And and here's the thing. I think that guys like Jamal Adams and I and from what I can tell from Jordan Brooks, I think these are your future leaders of that def- defensive locker room, future leaders of the yeah. defense. There are so many sim- similarities attitude-wise, physicality-wise between Brooks and Wagner. I'm not saying Brooks is going to become Wagner because there's like 10 to 15 linebackers ever that are Bobby Wagner. But you see enough of the similarities that I think you can say, okay, we'll we'll pass the torch there. So Diggs in, Wagner out. That's going to free up a little bit of money. How are you investing that on the defensive side of the ball? Well, broad terms. I mean, the big, the, the, the tricky thing is every offseason, pass rushers get stupid money and very rarely does it work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I'm shocked by how awesome Matthew Judon has been for the New England Patriots. I'm fucking shocked. Yeah, I thought for sure amazing. that move wouldn't work out. He's been awesome. Same I, with Trey Hendrickson in Cincinnati. Sure. <laughs> you see guys every now and then that do work out, but for the most part, you are going to swing miss. And you might have to, for the sake of rolling the dice, roll the dice. And they've been very averse to that of late. And you know what? I can see why. Because in the past, teams like New England had been like that. They're like, yeah, we're not going to pay a pass rusher a ton of money. But uh, off the top of my head, I don't know who's going to be available. But 
that might be something that you have to do. And I don't mean like one of those guys who's running straight up field getting 20 sacks a year. I, I just mean you got to have a disruptor on that defensive line as opposed to having a bunch of interchangeable pieces. And it's not to diminish any of those guys, but I mean, what's the overall varying skill level between Benson Mayoa and Alton Robinson and um, uh, Daryl Taylor and, and, and some of these other guys, like how much of a range are we talking about? Rasheem Green, it's a lot of guys who are around the same level. That's not to say that that's bad. Like, I don't think any of those guys are necessarily awful. Actually, check that. I don't think any of those guys are bad players. I think they're all solid, but you gotta have somebody that can actually wreck games. You do, and you do. You don't the, have that. The now. thing is, it's like, that's a dart. You're talking about it. Very rarely does it work out. That's a dart throw thing. And you, Hail Mary, yeah. that's an expensive dart, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, I was tough on the team for not extending Jadavian Clowney, for not going out and getting Everson Griffin, Leonard Floyd, some of these other edge rushers where it's like, oh my God, that's what we need. We need this guy to come in and just destroy the offensive game plan. There's players who have done that before who are available. Go spend the money on it. Instead, they draft Daryl Taylor. They bring in Alton Robinson. They bring in Carlos Dunlap. And, and you know, this is a point I skipped over earlier, but that I really wanted to make for as hard as we've been on John Schneider, bringing in Jadavian Clowney. His trade for Quandre Diggs was pure larceny. Quandre Diggs has been a top five safety in <laughs> oh the NFL God. and it cost him a fifth round pick. What a steal. He got Jadavian Clowney. I mean, Jacob Martin's been great in, in Houston, Ugh. but nobody. Too soon. Ah, we got a Jacob Martin lover, which I, I get, I get, but the no, I, I'm like, I, look, I, I love Clowney who happens to be a free agent after this season. Hey, the, the process on that trade was fine. Uh, the Carlos Dunlap deal. Amazing. John Schneider's strength. One of his strengths that has covered for some of his deficiencies in drafting recently has been his ability to target and acquire disgruntled star players elsewhere yeah. and bring them I in on the cheap. I wrote an article about it. Yeah, you, you I did. That. You did. So, all right. All right. So, we free up a little bit of money with Bobby. You're spending it on the pass rush. Let's switch God, to the offense. forget about Carlos Dunlap, too. I mean, Dunlap hasn't well, been Well, he's, he's been pretty year. forgettable this year. Yeah. But he was amazing last year. I mean, he was great last that, season, that yeah. switch from worst defense in the NFL to top five he, coincided he with him coming in, for sure. All right. Switch to offense. Mm. Let's give them a pass for all the pure, crazy, cosmic dysfunction of this season. Russell Wilson's first injury, a brand new play caller, Chris Carson getting injured. Again. And, and here's the thing. Running backs don't matter for a lot of teams. Chris Carson fucking matters for the Seahawks. Like, there's no, no question about it. When Carson is in, they are a better offense. All right? Certain running backs are that good, yes. Yeah. So, so we've got... We've got all of that going on. Let's just let's just say for the rest of the season is what it is. All right. Do you like the Shane Waldron approach if they can actually implement it? Let's say that we've got a defense that's only spending 32 minutes of the game on the field instead of 42. And you actually have a chance to run 12 drives and you get some first downs. That is when you zoom out on the Seahawks offense. That's who this offense is. They're a good offense. With this personnel, are, are you into the Shane Waldron approach? Well... You you need Russ to stick with it. It felt like this offseason he was sticking with it during training camp. I guess I don't know that Shane Waldron is necessarily doing anything that is as flashy 
as I wanted. Mm -hmm. Now you could point at uh, D Eskridge being banged up like that. He did seem like the kind of gadget player that maybe could be used on some of those speed sweeps, seeing as he has like a background as a running back from way back in the day. And he's exceptionally fast, but with what I'm seeing out of Waldron, it's hard to justify going forward with it. Like it doesn't, it feel like either it's the same as last year or it's someone learning on the job. And I mean, if, if that's, if it's either of those cases that that's, that's not good enough. Um, you have two tight ends that I, I think are above average players. You've seen some success the last couple of weeks when they've thrown the ball to the tight ends. Is there a way that they can force more of that action to tight ends? Does that mean getting another tight end? Does that mean um, just telling Russ, hey, those guys, those guys, get them involved a little bit more? To answer your question short, I am out on Shane Waldron. I, I, think, mm -hmm. I, think, that, I think that you got to look at something different. Copying the Rams approach it, it, it maybe is just not something that's going to be able to, to – be um replicated you know there's no Todd I, Gurley I, here I think I think that in a perfect world and and the approach behind hiring Shane Waldron was to is is it's good process in my opinion it was identifying a weakness in the offense which is easy completions tempo short times between snaps getting to the line early making audibles at the line in theory I think it was all great I don't know that those are Russell Wilson's strengths. They're not, right? I think let, let's let's just say it. They're not. And you know what? They're not Pete's strengths either. This team has always been slow getting out of the huddle. I had a fucking meltdown on the air after they lost to the Rams in the playoffs. Oh, my God. Because of uh, oh my God. What, what was there? There was a delay of game situation. I was like, what the fuck? How, it was after how a timeout. It was a delay of yes. game after a timeout. Yes. Yes. Like, how the fuck does that? And it happens all the time with them. And, and you know, that's exclusive of coordinators. And uh, you know what? Yes, you can blame it on Pete. I will also blame it on the quarterback. He's the guy on the field, you know, like. Get, get guys to the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, the, the tempo thing, we all want to see it, and maybe it's just not possible. All right, Waldron's out. What type? You can give me a name if you want, but what type of offense are you bringing in? Ooh, well, Pete Carroll's still here, right? He is. But you've got some influence. I want to zig to the NFL's zag. Greg Roman. Maybe I am also zagging if I am copying what the Patriots are doing right now. Oh, but you motherfucker. I don't hate I, it. I, I don't hate it. They've been the game manager. They've Russell been, Wilson. Hey, 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 listen, the, listen, they've been the best team in the NFL, arguably for the last month. You do need to find mean offensive lineman. You got to find someone. And, and maybe that's where you spend money. You got to find. Just that's a very Tom like a Cable dick. approach to offensive line, man. I know. I agree. And, and look, I, I know a lot of y'all have been there and done that, and you're sick of this shit. But this isn't calling, as Michael said, Russell Wilson a game manager. This is, you're seeing what New England's doing, and they're winning by running the ball on all of these light fleet defenses across the NFL. It's awesome. It's awesome and to watch. Makes Mac know, Jones' job much easier. Running at Aaron Donald, I'd rather run at Aaron Donald than pray that Aaron Donald doesn't get to me. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, uh, with, with, with the Cardinals too, like I'd rather get to that second level past Chandler Jones and see if Isaiah, uh, Simmons is actually going to be able to, to, uh, bring me down. And 
Does I, I, Russ? I does like, Russ? But but you got Russ as your quarterback. Does that does that offensive but, approach work? But you know what? You, you don't have to have the same approach week to week. And, and I feel like everyone's always married to this idea of an identity. I oh my god! The Pats. Let's talk about this. Okay, good. Identity is bullshit. It's bullshit. It's total fucking bullshit. Get it Everyone out of my actually, face. Yes, you need to be the same team every single no, week. No, man, no. Why would you do that? Throw curveballs. Be surprising. Be weird. You have a quarterback what in was, Russ. What was the Patriots' identity during the prime of Tom Brady's time there? There fucking wasn't Chameleon. one. Yep. Exactly. It was, it, it, it was. what is your biggest weakness, and how hard can I hammer that for 60 minutes? There were some games where they would throw the ball 50 times. There are other times where Brady would throw it like 25 times. And generally, it worked. I'll never forget the Jets game where they were up by like a score late. And that it was like they got the ball back. They're up by seven-ish, four minutes to go. Typically, you're trying to run it out. And Tom Brady went 10 for 10 on that drive. He just passed it. Yep. Because they knew they couldn't cover James White. And I think that at that point... Their slot receiver was Welker. And it was just like, yeah, you don't have the personnel. This is as good as a run, but with a better chance of a first down, we're just going to pass to run out the clock. This drove me nuts. When I first started covering the Texans, I came in and I was such an asshole when I first came to Houston. <laughs> was? Like I was much, much, yeah, I know. Imagine me 10 years ago when I was young, hated everything, and also thought that because I came from Massachusetts, I was God's gift to earth when it came to football. And I remember coming in and seeing like Gary Kubiak and, and Wade Phillips with this concept of, yeah, we're just going to beat you with what we do best every single week. We're on defense, they would rush five guys, have one safety back, and man across the board afterwards. And then on offense, it was like the play action stuff that we've seen from Kubiak, from Shanahan for the longest time. And I was like, okay, this is great when you play a bunch of fucking amateur NFL teams. But when you play the big boys, and I kept on saying this, if when, you, when they play the Patriots, they are going to they strangle them with their own supposed strengths. And they're going to find the weaknesses. And that's Which they did. when you have a quarterback like... Yeah. They did, right? Yep. Letterman Jackets. When you have a quarterback like Russ, you can do anything you fucking want. You don't you have can. to make it all about throwing. You okay. know, you don't. Right. Ha- I hear every, you. Every week you can do different shit. And I feel like you, what you had with this, you know, trying to run the ball and pass based off of the run every single week that you do conceptually over a big picture, it works. But you could do things where you are having a game where Russ cooks if you're playing against a team like, say, the Bucks in 2019 who had a wretched pass defense. Or if you're going up against a team that can't stop the run, okay, let's give it to, I guess it's Alex Collins now. <laughs> but insert running back XYZ all game sure. long. Sure. Okay. All right. You're a real son of a bitch because you've made this a lot about the Patriots, but they are the pinnacle. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. They are the pinnacle. People always said I make it about Houston. They are the pinnacle. Well, I mean, you talk about representing the two extremes in the NFL. They they are the pinnacle of franchise excellence. It it is what it is. I mean, look, hate the Patriots all you want. I spent most of my life hating the Patriots. I get it. I I don't blame anyone for hating the Patriots. No, of course, man. You don't want to see some you don't want to see some other team that's not your team always winning. And you get a couple of cheating scandals in there, and it gives you yeah, but, it you gives know, you the fodder. You should want your team you know, to cheat for you, Paul. Paul, yeah, 
I I mean, look, this is this is this for the this is going to make. I mean, oh my right. god! Right. Slow down, motherfucker! Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, come on, come on. Why did Mike? Why did we bring this guy? I mean, on? I'm monogamous, open relationship. Get him out of here. He's, he's, fine, he's a he's a Patriots fan, the Cheaters. He's an Astros fan, the Cheaters. Basically, yeah, what asshole. you're telling me, Paul, is that if I gave you the keys to the franchise, you just cheat. Yeah. Okay. All right. Actually, I, you know what? <laughs> that find, works. Find an edge where it is. Whenever my game. high school baseball coach said, "If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." I get it. They ain't taking the trophy. You know what? They've. It's crazy. They've never taken the trophies away in professional sports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if they actually did, but it's it's about the conversation. Yeah, that's true. And, and we 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 know what the con. See, the, <laughs> the Patriots won enough outside of the scandal that you're like, yeah, they're they're still the best. Eh, Astros. Eh. All right. All right. All right. One last question. With regards to the Paul Glant Seattle Seahawks. Oh. My favorite person on the planet. Baby, I love you. But DK Metcalf. Oh, boy. DK Metcalf is about to become the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. He is on the short list of coolest players in the NFL. On the short list of players most likely to be have their poster hanging on the wall of a bedroom of a young football player. He is so fucking cool and so good. Yep. If it were me, making Russ want to spend the next five years of his life as the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks is priority number one. Keeping DK Metcalf in Seattle is priority number two. Mm. Can you give DK Metcalf $25 million a year? Here's the problem. And what would you give up to make that happen? You mean like cut somebody or or uh, what, what, what? No, the good news is the projections on the on the NFL's uh, income and how that relates to salary cap. I and mean, we're going to see like a twenty three million dollar bump next year, like straight up. But that's that's gonna. There's lots of ways to eat that up. You you can always find ways with the cap. I'm not going to act like I'm some sort of expert, but it balloons every single year. I think the Rams are cooking their books. Like, I don't know how the fuck they're doing with all these. Okay. So let me, let me, let me rephrase. Let let me rephrase. How do you keep DK Metcalf in Seattle for the next four years? Well, you're going to, cause he's got to want to be here. He's going to be the highest paid receiver somewhere. You gotta, you gotta have a talk with, with Russ and DK. And it's weird. Like, Remember in that game against the Vikings last season where Collinsworth and Al Michaels are talking about how they want to be Montana to Rice 2.0? Yeah. Yeah. And then DK like went out and had his best game as a pro. Right. One of them. And and then you go to this year, and I mean, there's been a couple of games in a row where he's like not even involved. And the lasting image from that game against Washington football team, actual big deal or not, is going to be him animatedly talking to Geno Smith on the sideline after Russ didn't see him on that third and short. Okay, you you're buying into that? I, I, into that you know being what? a thing? I'm I'm buying that he was frustrated in that moment. But I think that that is a moment that if you add up to the last couple of weeks where you could see that maybe DK is pissed right now. And I mean these relationships are things that have to be worked on and has Russell Wilson been the best at re- at maintaining relationships in his time with the Seahawks? And I think it's unfair at points to with the Legion of Boom guys because I do think that there might have been a hint of jealousy that came in that Russ became the guy and they were the people that only a hint, bricks. right? But at the same time, like there are things that I can see now, having covered the Seahawks and, and getting a little bit of a taste for Russ, where I feel like okay, maybe they had a point, and you know. It, uh, Maybe Doug Baldwin wouldn't be the best person to ask on this one either.
either, but <laughs> those two need to have a talk. And I think that Russ needs to find out what DK does best. And DK has to find a way to, I hate to say it like this, but he's got to be, he's got to toughen up when it's a catch in traffic. Like he's got to catch the ball. He is a huge, massive, tight end sized wide receiver. We've talked about this on this show. I think that DK Metcalf is the most physically gifted wide receiver of my lifetime. Yeah. He could never improve his hands. He could never improve his route running. Granted, he has improved on both of those things. But let's say that right now is the best that he gets at catching the ball and at running routes. He is a top 15 wide receiver in this in the NFL for the next five years. Like, no question. He has the ability to be the number one, the next DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, the best receiver in the NFL. He has that potential. And the biggest thing standing in his way is the contested catch. Yeah. And it hasn't gotten better. And look, I, I think you could maybe point to the hands and just wonder, is that something that actually can get better? Because it does feel like at times that he's got the dropsies. Uh, you can make the Terrell Owens comparisons if you want. That was a big problem for Terrell Owens, who was amazing. Oh, with you, the ball. You, you, you mean one of the five best receivers of all oh, time? Yeah, but that was his I'll, weakness. I'll make that comparison all day. Seahawks legend. That was, <laughs> Seahawks, Seahawks legend. legend. That's true. That's what I really think about when I think of Terrell Owens. I don't think of pl- uh-huh. you know uh, him on the sidelines. Like, get your popcorn ready. It's him and the Seahawks. He's got to get better there. And um, you know, if he are was you paying better, him? Are you paying him? I know the Patriots wouldn't. I hate to bring it back to that. With the way that things have gone midway through this year, if Russell Wilson is still here, and with the way that things, I would just say, over the last couple of weeks, I'm thinking long and hard about doing it. And it's crazy, because going into the year, I've been like, yeah, he's going to get paid a shit ton of money, and I'm, I'm down with every single penny of it right now. But he has not improved this season. He has been, I would say, the same wide receiver, that he was last year, if not a little bit worse. You are relying on a quarterback every single season as a wide receiver. But when you have Lockett and you have these other young guys, do you think that you can make it work with the other ones? And you do have to make sacrifices at a certain point. I can't quite say it because I think it's crazy to move on from a guy that has all of those gifts. But I, I, I think that you should be a little bit more open to the idea of moving on from DK Metcalf just based off of what we have seen over the last two months or so. Last question. Okay. Before we wrap this up, and it's in, and it's a trailer hitched to the last one. Do you prioritize him? Do you prioritize... Because DK Metcalf isn't going to stick around to get maybe five targets, right? Like, he could go elsewhere. And he could get his 10 targets. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would bend over backwards to get him 150 targets a year. And the thing we got to remember about athletes is, yes, we want them to live and die for the team that we cheer for. And we want them to, despite wherever they were born and whoever they grew up cheering for, that as soon as your team drafts them, that they are like, die hard. I'll do anything for this team. I'll never leave. It's it's not the reality. These guys grow up imagining glory however they find it. DK Metcalf is assuredly one of those guys. His dad was in the NFL. Yeah. Is he the type of person and player from what you can gather that you would build 
your next chapter of your team around because i think that's what it's going to take yeah he's cool i mean it's it's something to keep people around say the russell wilson situation inflames and turns into a all right my way or the highway i want out kind of deal i and i think that is an interesting element to have i would say that having followed the texans where they're at right now there's nothing worse than a team that has just like no redeeming qualities, whether it's in the front office or you can't even name a fucking player on that team. You would want to have DK around for the big picture, but there are there are elements that if you're going to talk about him as a, as a foundational piece of this team, it sounds so like patronizing to say he's got to he's got to grow up. But there are moments where he's got to be able to find that calm that Russell Wilson can on the field and compose himself. I love that he gets into the faces of defensive backs and stuff like that. But every now and then you're like, okay, are you going to get drawn for a 15-yard penalty here? Are you going to get ejected from a game like you did that one time too? Are you taking it too far on that front? Are you getting too worked up on the sidelines, whether it's the game against the Rams or it's the game against Washington football team where you are perhaps being a little bit of a distraction because you are mad? It, look, wide receivers, it's, a, it's an ego-driven position. It's different than all the other ones. You're relying on somebody else to succeed, and it sucks running... 70 yards downfield when you don't even get the ball looked your way but he's got to he's got to grow up a little bit um and you know what he's young like he's going to grow he's 23 up a bit. right he's 23 it's crazy yeah third year I, in the nfl exactly wow. like it's it's a maturation process for a lot of guys in this league it, there's nothing off the field that makes me concerned about dk metcalf even you know maybe some of his extracurricular activities you know shoot your <laughs> shot if you will but uh <laughs> as far as on the field yeah there's some things you can get better at and 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 you're going to have to have him get better at those things to justify, I think, a massive contract for him. Because if he's mad and he's like Stephon Diggs and he's and he has a quarterback that at the very least, and it's different between Kirk Cousins and Ryan and Russell Wilson, obviously. But you don't want to have a, a wide receiver who's just like outright pissed off at his quarterback. And yep. I, I wonder what the relationship is like at this moment in time. I imagine it can be salvaged, but I doubt it's very good coming off of that Washington game. I hear you, man. It's going to be super interesting. It's going yeah. to be fascinating to watch, not only over the next six games, but going into the offseason. Paul, yes. thank you again for coming in today. Anytime, man. I know you've got a lot of plate spinning, so it does mean a lot that you made the time for us. Tell everyone where they can get more of you. Galant says podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. It's also on YouTube when my computer's actually working, which has been a bit of an issue over the course of the past week. <laughs> Akalon says, just look that up. I'm really pacing to have massive eyebrows. You, you can't miss it. Uh, and um, I appreciate all the support from everybody who was listening in the 7, 10 days. And Jackson, thank you so much for having me on. This is a pleasure. I love talking with you, man. And um, hopefully <laughs> we'll be talking about a crazy six-game winning streak and a surprise playoff Fuck it. appearance Why not, man? at the end of the year. Why not? Yeah, you know what? You, you, you got to be playing for something the rest of the way. Until there's going to be an actual more loss than wins total at the end of the season, I suppose I will still leave it open the possibility of them getting into the playoffs, but they're dead. So Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. Well, listen, guys, if you like today's convo, make sure you're following Paul because he's consistently got some of the more interesting perspectives surrounding this team, and he isn't afraid to go back and forth on it. Obviously, you guys experienced that today with this show. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I appreciate uh, people just owning who they are more than anything else. And, and Paul does that in, in spades. So, Paul, thank you so much for coming on, making the time. 
I want to thank you for listening to the show, for reading to the articles, for spreading the love on social media. Speaking of, you can find me on Twitter at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Remember that no K is okay. You can follow Mike at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fuelgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. Now, we are going to have an audible reading like we have uh, of the article after it's written. That's going to happen with the 49ers game coming up. We're also going to do a Twitter live at halftime where we can check in, talk about how the game's going, what we're looking for in the second half. So make sure you're on Twitter, following at Cigar Thoughts NFL to get that. And if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your preference. I'm really proud of and grateful for the tremendous amount of effort that goes into the show every week. And that feedback is super important to us as we continue to grow and improve. That'll do it for today. I'm going to head down to the game for some good old-fashioned tailgating this week. Going to get loose and conversational. Just let this game wash over me, devoid of expectation. So we'll see how the article turns out. We'll be back next week with one of the most connected people in all of Seahawksdom, beat writer John Boyle. Until then, onwards and upwards, my friends. Oh.